Part one of Chapter twenty two of Persuasion. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Karen Savage. Persuasion by Jane Austen. Chapter twenty two. Part one. Anne went home to think over all that she had heard. In one point her feelings were relieved by this knowledge of Mr. Elliot. There was no longer anything of tenderness due to him. He stood as opposed to Captain Wentworth in all his own unwelcome obtrusiveness. And the evil of his attentions last night, the irremediable mischief he might have done, was considered with sensations unqualified, unperplexed. Pity for him was all over. But this was the only point of relief. In every other respect, in looking around her or penetrating forward, she saw more to distrust and to apprehend. She was concerned for the disappointment and pain Lady Russell would be feeling, for the mortifications which must be hanging over her father and sister, and had all the distress of foreseeing many evils, without knowing how to avert any one of them. She was most thankful for her own knowledge of him. She had never considered herself as entitled to reward for not slighting an old friend like Mrs. Smith, but here was a reward indeed springing from it. Mrs. Smith had been able to tell her what no one else could have done. Could the knowledge have been extended through her family? But this was a vain idea. She must talk to Lady Russell, tell her, consult with her, and having done her best, wait the event with as much composure as possible. And after all, her greatest want of composure would be in that quarter of the mind which could not be open to Lady Russell, in that flow of anxieties and fears which must be all to herself. She found, on reaching home, that she had, as she intended, escaped seeing Mr. Elliot, that he had called and paid them a long morning visit. But hardly had she congratulated herself and felt safe, when she heard that he was coming again in the evening. "'I had not the smallest intention of asking him,' said Elizabeth, with affected carelessness. "'But he gave so many hints—so Mrs. Clay says, at least.' "'Indeed I do say it. I never saw anybody in my life spell harder for an invitation. Poor man! I was really in pain for him, for your hard-hearted sister, Miss Anne, seems bent on cruelty." "'Oh!' cried Elizabeth. "'I have been rather too much used to the game to be soon overcome by a gentleman's hints. However, when I found how excessively he was regretting that he should miss my father this morning, I gave way immediately, for I would never really omit an opportunity of bringing him and Sir Walter together. They appear to so much advantage in company with each other, each behaving so pleasantly. Mr. Elliot looking up with so much respect. "'Quite delightful!' cried Mrs. Clay, not daring, however, to turn her eyes towards Anne. "'Exactly like father and son. Dear Miss Elliot, may I not say father and son?' "'Oh! I lay no embargo on anybody's words, if you will have such ideas. But upon my word I am scarcely sensible of his attentions being beyond those of other men.' "'My dear Miss Elliot!' exclaimed Mrs. Clay, lifting her hands and eyes, and sinking all the rest of her astonishment in a convenient silence. "'Well, my dear Penelope, you need not be so alarmed about him. I did invite him, you know. I sent him away with smiles. When I found he was really going to his friends at Thornbury Park for the whole day to-morrow, I had compassion on him.' Anne admired the good acting of the friend in being able to show such pleasure as she did, in the expectation and in the actual arrival of the very person whose presence must really be interfering with her prime object. It was impossible but that Mrs. Clay must hate the sight of Mr. Elliot, and yet she could assume a most obliging, placid look, and appear quite satisfied with the curtailed license of devoting herself only half as much to Sir Walter as she would have done otherwise. To Anne herself, 
It was most distressing to see Mr. Elliot enter the room, and quite painful to have him approach and speak to her. She had been used before to feel that he could not be always quite sincere, but now she saw insincerity in everything. His attentive deference to her father, contrasted with his former language, was odious, and when she thought of his cruel conduct towards Mrs. Smith, she could hardly bear the sight of his present smiles and mildness, or the sound of his artificial good sentiments. She meant to avoid any such alteration of manners as might provoke a remonstrance on his side. It was a great object to her to escape all inquiry or eclat, but it was her intention to be as decidedly cool to him as might be compatible with their relationship, and to retrace, as quietly as she could, the few steps of unnecessary intimacy she had been gradually led along. She was accordingly more guarded and more cool than she had been the night before. He wanted to animate her curiosity again as to how and where he could have heard her formerly praised, wanted very much to be gratified by more solicitation, but the charm was broken. He found that the heat and animation of a public room was necessary to kindle his modest cousin's vanity. He found, at least, that it was not to be done now by any of those attempts which he could hazard among the two commanding claims of the others. He little surmised that it was a subject acting now exactly against his interest, bringing immediately to her thoughts all those parts of his conduct which were least excusable. She had some satisfaction in finding that he was really going out of Bath the next morning, going early, and that he would be gone the greater part of two days. He was invited again to Camden Place the very evening of his return, but from Thursday to Saturday evening his absence was certain. It was bad enough that a Mrs. Clay should be always before her, but that a deeper hypocrite should be added to their party seemed the destruction of everything like peace and comfort. It was so humiliating to reflect on the constant deception practised on her father and Elizabeth, to consider the various sources of mortification preparing for them. Mrs. Clay's selfishness was not so complicate nor so revolting as his, and Anne would have compounded for the marriage at once with all its evils, to be clear of Mr. Elliot's subtleties in endeavouring to prevent it. On Friday morning she meant to go very early to Lady Russell, and accomplish the necessary communication, and she would have gone directly after breakfast, but that Mrs. Clay was also going out on some obliging purpose of saving her sister trouble, which determined her to wait till she might be safe from such a companion. She saw Mrs. Clay fairly off, therefore, before she began to talk of spending the morning in Rivers Street. "'Very well,' said Elizabeth. "'I have nothing to send but my love. Oh, you may as well take back that tiresome book she would lend me, and pretend I have read it through. I really cannot be plaguing myself for ever with all the new poems and states of the nation that come out. Lady Russell quite bores one with her new publications. You need not tell her so, but I thought her dress hideous the other night.' I used to think she had some taste in dress, but I was ashamed of her at the concert. Something so formal and arranged in her air, and she sits so upright. My best love, of course." "'And mine,' added Sir Walter, "'kindest regards. And you may say that I mean to call upon her soon. Make a civil message, but I shall only leave my card. Morning visits are never fair by women at her time of life, who make themselves up so little. If she would only wear rouge, she would not be afraid of being seen. Last time I called, I observed the blinds were let down immediately." While her father spoke, there was a knock at the door. Who could it be? Anne, remembering the preconcerted visits at all hours of Mr. Elliot, would have expected him, but for his known engagement seven miles off. After the usual period of suspense, the usual sounds of approach were heard, and Mr. and Mrs. Charles Musgrove were ushered into the room. 
Surprise was the strongest emotion raised by their appearance, but Anne was really glad to see them, and the others were not so sorry, but that they could put on a decent air of welcome. And as soon as it became clear that these, their nearest relations, were not arrived with any views of accommodation in that house, Sir Walter and Elizabeth were able to rise in cordiality, and do the honours of it very well. They were come to Bath for a few days with Mrs. Musgrove, and were at the White Hart. So much was pretty soon understood. But till Sir Walter and Elizabeth were walking Mary into the other drawing-room, and regaling themselves with her admiration, Anne could not draw upon Charles's brain for a regular history of their coming, or an explanation of some smiling hints of particular business, which had been ostentatiously dropped by Mary, as well as of some apparent confusion as to whom their party consisted of. She then found that it consisted of Mrs. Musgrove, Henrietta, and Captain Harville, beside their two selves. He gave her a very plain, intelligible account of the whole, a narration in which she saw a great deal of most characteristic proceeding. The scheme had received its first impulse by Captain Harville's wanting to come to Bath on business. He had begun to talk of it a week ago, and by way of doing something, as shooting was over, Charles had proposed coming with him, and Mrs. Harville had seemed to like the idea of it very much, as an advantage to her husband. But Mary could not bear to be left, and had made herself so unhappy about it, that for a day or two everything seemed to be in suspense, or at an end. But then it had been taken up by his father and mother. His mother had some old friends in Bath whom she wanted to see. It was thought a good opportunity for Henrietta to come and buy wedding-clothes for herself and her sister, and in short it ended in being his mother's party, that everything might be comfortable and easy to Captain Harville, and he and Mary were included in it by way of general convenience. They had arrived late the night before. Mrs. Harville, her children, and Captain Bennet remained with Mr. Musgrove and Louisa at Uppercross. Anne's only surprise was that affairs should be in forwardness enough for Henrietta's wedding-clothes to be talked of. She had imagined such difficulties of fortune to exist there as must prevent the marriage from being near at hand. But she learned from Charles that, very recently, since Mary's last letter to herself, Charles Hayter had been applied to by a friend to hold a living for a youth who could not possibly claim it under many years, and that, on the strength of his present income, with almost a certainty of something more permanent long before the term in question, the two families had consented to the young people's wishes, and that their marriage was likely to take place in a few months, quite as soon as Louisa's. And a very good living it was, Charles added, only five-and-twenty miles from Uppercross, and in a very fine country, fine part of Dorsetshire in the centre of some of the best preserves in the kingdom, surrounded by three great proprietors, each more careful and jealous than the other, and to two of the three at least, Charles Hayter might get a special recommendation. Not that he will value it as he ought, he observed. Charles is too cool about sporting. That's the worst of him. I am extremely glad indeed, cried Anne, particularly glad that this should happen, and that of two sisters who both deserve equally well, and who have always been such good friends, the pleasant prospect of one should not be dimming those of the other that they should be so equal in their prosperity and comfort. I hope your father and mother are quite happy with regard to both. Oh, yes! My father would be well pleased if the gentleman were richer, but he has no other fault to find. Money, you know, coming down with money, two daughters at once, it cannot be a very agreeable operation, and it straightens him as to many things. However, I do not mean to say that they have not a right to it. It is very fit they should have daughters' shares, and I am sure he has always been a very kind, liberal father to me. Mary does not above half like Henrietta's match—she never did, you know—but she does not do him justice, nor think enough about Winthrop. I cannot make her attend to the value of the property. It is a very fair match, as times go, 
and I have liked Charles Hayter all my life, and I shall not leave off now. Such excellent parents as Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove, exclaimed Anne, should be happy in their children's marriages. They do everything to confer happiness, I am sure. What a blessing to young people to be in such hands! Your father and mother seem so totally free from all those ambitious feelings which have led to so much misconduct and misery, both in young and old. I hope you think Louisa perfectly recovered now." He answered rather hesitatingly, "'Yes, I believe I do. Very much recovered. But she is altered. There is no running or jumping about, no laughing or dancing. It is quite different. If one happens only to shut the door a little hard, she starts and wriggles like a young dab-chick in the water, and Benwick sits at her elbow reading verses or whispering to her all day long." Anne could not help laughing. "'That cannot be much to your taste, I know,' said she. "'But I do believe him to be an excellent young man. Well, to be sure he is. Nobody doubts it. And I hope you do not think I am so illiberal as to want every man to have the same objects and pleasures as myself. I have a great value for Benwick. And when one can but get him to talk, he has plenty to say. His reading has done him no harm, for he has fought as well as read. He is a brave fellow. I got more acquainted with him last Monday than ever I did before. We had a famous set to at rat-hunting all the morning in my father's great barns, and he played his part so well that I have liked him the better ever since." Here they were interrupted by the absolute necessity of Charles's following the others to admire mirrors in China. But Anne had heard enough to understand the present state of Uppercross, and rejoice in its happiness and though she sighed as she rejoiced, her sigh had none of the ill-will of envy in it. She would certainly have risen to their blessings if she could, but she did not want to lessen theirs. The visit passed off altogether in high good humour. Mary was in excellent spirits, enjoying the gaiety and the change, and so well satisfied with the journey in her mother-in-law's carriage with four horses, and with her own complete independence of Camden Place, that she was exactly in a temper to admire everything as she ought and enter most readily into all the superiorities of the house, as they were detailed to her. She had no demands on her father or sister, and her consequence was just enough increased by their handsome drawing-rooms. Elizabeth was, for a short time, suffering a good deal. She felt that Mrs. Musgrove and all her party ought to be asked to dine with them, but she could not bear to have the difference of style, the reduction of servants which a dinner must betray, witnessed by those who had always been so inferior to the Elliots of Kellynch. It was a struggle between propriety and vanity, but vanity got the better, and then Elizabeth was happy again. These were her internal persuasions. Old-fashioned notions, country hospitality. We do not profess to give dinners. Few people in Bath do. Lady Alicia never does. Did not even ask her own sister's family, though they were here a month. And I dare say it would be very inconvenient to Mrs. Musgrove. Put her quite out of her way. I am sure she would rather not come. She cannot feel easy with us. I will ask them all for an evening. That will do much better. That will be a novelty and a treat. They have not seen two such drawing-rooms before. They will be delighted to come to-morrow evening. It shall be a regular party, small but most elegant." And this satisfied Elizabeth. And when the invitation was given to the two present, and promised for the absent, Mary was as completely satisfied. She was particularly asked to meet Mr. Elliot, and be introduced to Lady Dorimple and Miss Carteret, who were, fortunately, already engaged to come and she could not have received a more gratifying attention. Miss Elliot was to have the honour of calling on Mrs. Musgrove in the course of the morning, and Anne walked off with Charles and Mary to go and see her and Henrietta directly. End of chapter 22, part 1